you would with me this morning, turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to continue through our journey in that book, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 20. Psalm 37, verse 1 through 20. I'll let you turn there. My son was concerned. He saw my notes this week, and he saw that there were six points. I've narrowed it down to four. He was very concerned that I would uh, be too long preaching six points, but they're long four points, so don't worry. I'll still get it across. Psalm 37 is a wisdom psalm. It's much like one of the Proverbs or several of the Proverbs. On the other hand, it's also, and if you've been following this series with us, it's also one of these psalms called an abecedarius or an alphabetical acrostic with a particular Hebrew poetic structure. And it's interesting, on the one hand, because it's like the Proverbs, it appears to be rather unstructured. But because it's this type of Hebrew poetry, it's, in a sense, grammatically very structured. I tend to think that maybe God inspired the author David to write this psalm, as we're told later on in the psalm that we'll look at next week, in his old age, looking back on this, both with structure and lack of structure, because of the difficult way we deal with the topic of this psalm. You see, we deal in chaotic ways with the fact that sometimes it looks as if the wicked are prospering. And I have to say, right now, I think in our country we see it. We see many who are evil and practicing evil and would promote evil things. They seem to be gaining power and influence and wealth. And how do we as Christians react? This is the topic of this psalm. Follow along as I read 37, 1 through 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming." The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. 
we consider these words, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, there's a lot of information here. It may not be possible for us to get all the gems and jewels that are in this passage this morning, but Lord, by your grace, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word, that we might apply it to our lives in this day and time. We pray all these things by your grace. And Lord, anything in this worship service or in this sermon that is not consistent with your own, I pray that it would not be heard from again after this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't been following in the news, we learned over the last couple of weeks that those with power and strength sometimes abuse it. Some of you may have realized that Harry Reeder, the pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, who died this past week, had a podcast that he would do every day, about a 10-minute podcast on different current events. Interestingly, his last podcast was talking about the Durham report regarding Russian collusion. And we found out in that report that the FBI, politicians, and others began to take the power that they had and abused it against the innocent. What do we do when we see that taking place? Now, there are those who scheme with money as well. You know those who try to buy favors from judges or police officers You know those who take their money and try to influence politics in the land or try to shut people up that they don't agree with? You know the evil intention of evildoers who just want to have their way. It's really a topsy-turvy world, isn't it? And what are the reactions that we often have in these situations? I think of one of them, oh, it just makes me so mad. Another reaction might be this. What if these folks win the day? What are we going to do? Or perhaps it's this. Well, if they're going to use these tactics to get their ways, then by golly, we've got to use these tactics to get our way as well. We have to get in there and do what they do in order to get the power back. Hmm. Are any of these ways the ways of Christ? for the Christian, living in days in which the wicked seem to prosper? That's the question, isn't it? And David, in his wisdom and experience inspired by the Holy Spirit, looks back perhaps on his life and all the circumstances in which it seemed that the wicked prospered, and he was inspired to write these words, first of all, to tell us, don't worry about evildoers. Secondly, to remind us that the duty and job of the believer, the person of the covenant, is to trust in the Lord. And in case we didn't get the first point, the third point is a repetition. Don't worry about the wicked. Because after all, the wicked will vanish. Again, a reminder, there are evildoers. There are evil people. There are wicked They will gain influence. They will sometimes have power over us. They will do things that seem to be overwhelming, and it will seem as if the righteous will be tamped down, will be struck into poverty, 
and will perhaps in their lifetime never escape. For as much as we in America have been so privileged to have freedom and great wealth and prosperity, there are so many people in the world's history who have not had that, and so many places in the world today who have not had that. I've been reminded again and again, particularly of the evil dictator in North Korea and his family, the Kim family. Did you know that the capital of North Korea was once called the Jerusalem of the East because it was filled with so many Christians and so many believers in the Lord? And now to be a believer in that country is to be fraught with danger and perhaps the danger of martyrdom. What do we do when evildoers seem to prosper? What does David say the first couple of verses here? He says, fret not. The word fret, I think, is a tame translation of this word. You see, I don't think it's just fretting about or just worrying about it or being anxious about it because the word has this sense of flying into a passion. When we see someone who is doing something wicked, what is one of the responses that we have? Sometimes we have the response of righteous anger. We, of course, don't do anger very well because of our sin nature. And so David tells us, don't fly into a passion. I think a lot of us do. The second thing he says is just as important. We look at the prosperity of those doing evil we <coughs> excuse me we look at their mansions we look at their wealth we look at their influence we look at all the things that they have going for them and we're envious david says don't be envious you shall not be envious why here's the reason why verse 2 they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb They will be clipped. It's interesting, this word for clipped is actually the word at times translated to circumcise. They will be quickly clipped like grass. They will fall like a green plant. In other words, it's not up to us to solve the problem of the wicked prospering. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be active in the world in a situation where there are those who are actively doing evil, particularly evil against God's people. But it does mean this. It's not our job to solve the problem. Now, we call opinion talk show hosts, or another word for today's so-called newscasters, talking heads. But now... There are protesters across the country that we might call screaming heads on perhaps both sides of every issue. David says, it's not good for us to fly into a passion. This is not the way of the Lord. It's not up to us to just fly into a passion and reactively get angry and let anger rule our hearts when the world is turned upside down. Why? Because God's sovereign. He's on the throne. He's in control. And no matter what it looks like, at some point, suddenly, just like in the Middle East, when the grass and the plants grew and there was that strong 
east wind filled with heat, those plants could quickly be scorched and die. Notice David doesn't say when it's going to happen. He just says it's going to happen. They will be quick, clipped quickly like grass. They will fall like a fresh green plant. But the way of the Lord is not to fly into a passion or be envious of the wicked, but instead to trust in the Lord. Verse 3, very, very clear. This is the letter B in Hebrew alphabet for the word trust. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. All those are imperatives. First of all, he says, trust in the Lord. When we see the wicked prospering, when we see evil having its way, what is the first response of the believer? To trust in God. Now, yes, that's a good Sunday school answer. But what does that mean, to trust in God? First of all, it's a reminder to do good. Now, now why does David say in this context, don't worry about those who are doing wicked things and prospering. All you need to do or the first thing you need to do is trust God. Why then does he say do good? It's because we have a tendency to want to get revenge. We want to get back. We want to do underhanded things to get our way. How tempting it is for us to get our way no matter how we do it and say that the ends justifies the means. Instead, he reminds us our job is always to do what is right and good in the eyes of God. Then he says, settle in the earth and graze on faithfulness. This word faithfulness is from the family that means truth or reliability. In other words, the first thing we're supposed to do is trust God and with it act in right ways and then remind ourselves that our basic duty as citizens in the kingdom of heaven is to feed on the word of God, the truth. Feed on God's word. And then the next thing, this is a command, folks. Delight yourself in the Lord. In some ways, it means to pamper yourself. Notice it doesn't say pamper yourself in the riches of the world or pamper yourself in the fact that you're right and everybody else is wrong. It says pamper yourself in the Lord, in him, in his character, in his name, in his attributes, in all the things about God, his faithfulness, his love, his loyalty, his covenant, all those things, we pamper ourselves on him. And then what happens? He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, of course, we know you can rip that out of its context and say, okay, God's a perfect genie. We can go out and ask for a fancy car, for lots of wealth, or for lots of things and relationships to work out fine. But who is the, what are the things that are the desires of our heart if we are delighting ourselves in God? That's the caveat here. You see, it's not saying, okay, if you're a believer, God's going to do whatever you want and it's going to fill your heart to the full. No. 
It's when you delight yourself in the Lord, then, of course, you're delighting yourself in his character, in his attributes, in his name, in his purposes, in his will, according to his word, because you're feeding on the truth of God. And therefore, the desires of your heart are consistent with God's will and consistent with God's blessing, and he will give them to his children because he's a gracious God. Think about all this. And this is the context of saying the world is such that, that the evil people are going to get their way. And we're supposed to sit back and worry about our faith and practicing our faith. Yes. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. This word commit is an interesting word. It means to roll onto. It's another way in which the New Testament tells us this. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Roll your way upon Yahweh or upon Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. Cast your anxieties on him. In other words, don't worry about all this stuff. God's got this. He's the king. God's got this because he is your God and you are his people. Are there times in the world when things don't look so good? Are there times when you're worried about your 401k? or you're worried about your relationship with your family, or you're worried about how this next generation might be impacted by X, Y, or Z, just like your parents did and your grandparents did and your great-grandparents did about you and your father and your grandfather? Yes. All of those things roll onto the Lord. And then the repetition, in case you didn't get the first point. Here is it again. Trust in him. Don't trust in a politician or a political party. Don't trust in your money or the ability to raise enough funds. Don't trust in a program or an opportunity of some design to to bring people in a certain way. We're trusting in God because what's he going to do? He'll act. He'll do it. He will do this. Bring forth or produce your righteousness as the light. So here's David. He's talking about all the wicked people out there and how we worry about it and how it seems overwhelming and how we get angry about it and all those things. And he's talking about our righteousness. In other words, get your priorities straight. You see, you would be just like those wicked people because you don't have any righteousness. In order for God to save you, he has to supply your righteousness. And of course, he does that in Jesus Christ. Christ is our righteousness. This is a prophecy about Christ coming. He will produce your righteousness as the light. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. Paul tells us that Christ is our righteousness. Why are we worrying about how this world is collapsing down upon us when the most important thing in our life is whether or not we can enter the gates of heaven? We must have an eternal perspective, folks. And he says, not only your righteousness, but your justice like the noon. He will produce your justice like the noon. We want justice. The world around us wants justice. And it's a good and noble thing for the world to be talking about justice, even if it's not biblical justice. All of us have a desire to want what's right and true and fair. 
The problem with the way the world talks about it is they look for justice outside the God of justice and the standards that God sets as justice. God is just and God is righteous. He sets those standards. He will bring those things about. So instead of trying to force it our way, he wants us to trust him that he will in the end bring it about. Of course, this doesn't mean there aren't ways in which we might act for someone else's behalf or act to to promote justice and to love justice and all those things. But in the end, we cannot bring justice. Only God can. So what do we do? Verse 7 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You're telling me, that the world is going down the path it's going on and I'm supposed to just sit still and wait there? Of course, this doesn't mean that, hey, we, we just sit back and we lay down on our couch and we let the world go by eating potato chips and watching TV. No. But the idea here is that we're letting the Lord work. In fact, the word here. Stand still and wait patiently. The word wait patiently is kind of an interesting word. It means to writhe. The best way I can describe it is my dog has a stub of a tail. And when my dog at home, and I'm, yes, yes, kids, I'm saying my dog. I paid for it. So here it is, my dog at home. When he knows that somebody's at the door or somebody has come home in their car, what does he do? Now, on the one hand, he can't go rushing out the door because he can't open it. But what does he do? He sits there, and his little rear end goes back and forth. And it's going back and forth and all that stuff, but he's just waiting anxiously for that person to come home. David says this is what we're supposed to do with the Lord. We're so excited because we know that God's going to act. And we're so excited because we know Jesus is coming back. And we're so excited because we know that all the evil in the world is going to be taken care of. We just can't wait for God to do it. And yet, at the same time, we're waiting. You know, I'm sure that that little dog sometimes, Zorro is his name, that that little dog sometimes is thinking, are they ever going to get out of that car? And he's thinking, are they ever going to walk in here? Are they ever going to come in and pay me attention? And then he runs over to a chair and looks down. We want to rub his belly and all this stuff. And this is the kind of thing we're supposed to be. When we say we wait on the Lord, it's not just that we sit here and we say, oh, we just have to wait and wait and wait. No, we're waiting with eager expectation, with joy that God will take care of these problems. Then there's the reminder. Again, this word, fret not or you shall not fall into or fly into passion. Fret not yourself. Why? Before it says, don't do that and don't be envious of wrongdoers because these evildoers will be taken care of. But here it reminds us of our own nature, doesn't it? Don't fly into a passion. Don't fly off the handle because the wicked seem to prosper because when you do, you're only going to do evil. You see, you shall not fly into a passion because there's one who enjoys success in his path. You should not fly into passion with the man making evil plans. It's just another reminder. God has this. 
we look into this and we say, how can a certain person come into power? How can this boss be so awful? How can this individual over here invent these ways of doing evil? My wife reminded me last night, she said, the person in all this surgical stuff of trying to allow people to surgically change from one thing or another, the person who invented those surgeries, how depraved must they be? How awful to torture people in that way and affect them for the rest of their lives that they will have regret and lead often to suicide and other all kinds of evil things and thoughts and experiences. How can we do this to people in our society? But instead of flying in a rage about it, we're reminded that God has this. Don't worry about the wicked. Forsake anger and abandon wrath. In other words, here it is. When we get angry about it, and we do, sometimes we don't do the things we should do. Sometimes we have the wrong ideas of how to stop that injustice. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say or we disrespect those God put in authority over us and refuse to use their titles or use them, uh, their name in a proper way. And it says here, in this context, don't let that happen so that you will do evil. Why? Because evildoers will be cut down. And those who are waiters... Those who wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. But again, finally, just a reminder, God has this. The wicked will vanish. Look with me at verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is a reminder they're going to go away at some point. It might, might not be tomorrow. It might not be at the next election. It might not be when, when the boss is changed at work. It might not be when the next person uh, is, is changed in your relationship, in the family or whatever, but they will be gone. Just quickly to go through these verses, the humble will pamper themselves on peace. This word for delight again. They pamper themselves not in the ability to debate, not in their ability to try and upend the plans of the wicked, but in the peace that God gives them. In fact, what does the Lord do at evildoers? He laughs at them. He looks at the guilty schemer, and he laughs at the wicked, for he sees their day is coming. And if you think that they have all the weapons in their hands, the bows and the, the, the swords of the day, these symbols of strength and abuse, perhaps it's the abuse of a warrant, perhaps it's the abuse of a purse, perhaps, perhaps it's the abuse of some other means, he says these will fall. And when we look at the world today, from American eyes, we think of a very short time period. We think of all those today, how our society seems to be falling apart. But I want you to think in history of evil dictators. Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Castro in Cuba. Stalin in the Soviet Union. Hitler in Germany. Mao in China. Kim in North Korea. The Middle East imams and leaders of a religion that purveys violence. Think of all of those things. They'll fall. Some of them already have. Guilty arms will be broken. Arms both in the sense of literal arms, but also in the sense of power. These arms will be broken. And then it says this, better 
the little of the righteous. Better the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. This is a reminder here. If you're poor and you're poverty because you are being oppressed and persecuted and because the circumstances are such that all the laws are against you, all the ways of testifying to Christ are against you, all the ways seem to be closing in upon you and your poverty seems to be overwhelming and you have very little, that's a better circumstance than if you participate in the evil of the wicked. Because the Lord will prop up the righteous. He will uphold them. That's the word here. He will prop up the righteous. And he knows our days. He knows the days of the blameless. Now, you and I know we're not blameless. But we become blameless through faith in Jesus Christ who has removed our sins from us. He knows our days. And guess what happens with our heritage? It's forever. Why are we so caught up in the moment of the day and so concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow and next month and next year and the next decade and in this generation when we as Christians must have an eternal perspective? Who wins in the end? God does. Who is getting the blessings of God forever and ever? It's God's people. But what happens to the wicked? They will perish. The heritage of the blameless will be forever. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the enemies of the Lord will vanish in smoke. I don't think David meant this as a literal sense. Although it will be literal. They will vanish in smoke. You see, it's not our goal to be earthly successful. Particularly earthly successful like God's enemies. It's not our goal to have the most toys when we die. It's not our goal to have the most influence and to have statues built of us and have portraits made of us and have our little kingdom be the most significant. I'm sure if Harry Reader or Tim Keller were to be here to tell us now at this point in time what was the most important thing of their life, it would not be a 5,000-member church or the hundreds of church plants or the books that they wrote or the influence they had. It would be the righteousness that they gained from Jesus Christ that they could have eternal life. I need to hear this sermon because I look at culture around us and I look at what's taking place and I see the decadence and I see the downward spiral and I think of the refrain of the book of Judges where it says everyone did what was evil in their own sight and when I look at that sometimes, sometimes I'm thinking what are my children going to come to? Sometimes I look at this and I get so angry that these people would do these kinds of things to the innocent and the vulnerable. And sometimes I look at the situation and I think if someone would just do something, however they might do it, so that these people can be out of power and influence. But I need to be reminded, though the wicked schemers prosper, though they might prosper in my lifetime, though they might take over the halls of justice and the buildings of power and the positions of influence, though the sexually deviant, the financial schemers, the worldly philosophers and the drug cartels and all the rest might take control temporarily, we kingdom dwellers simply trust in King Jesus. Worldly Worldly things, 
If we want to be like the worldly and envious of their prosperity and seeking to overthrow them by our own power, we might gain worldly slumlord kingdoms. But God's kingdom of heaven is so much better. Trust in the Lord. Commit your life to him. Cast your cares upon him, for he will take care of the wicked. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this psalm. Lord, I thank you for the words of David. I thank you for the reminder that though Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Malachi and David and others ask this question, why do the wicked prosper? You have answers. You don't tell us why you tarry, why justice delays, but you do tell us you'll take care of it. You will give grace to your people and many blessings, and the wicked will get their justice. Help us to be patient. Help us to be strong and stand on what is good and right and to trust in you, but in all things, Lord, that we might trust that you will, in the end, 